Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here. And the Knicks lost their their longest winning streak of the season is snapped. 125 to 114 to the Charlotte Hornets at home. Gavin, pretty good night for a number of Knicks, but I think the Hornets ultimately just had a little too much in the tank for the Knicks in this one. Yeah, and Tom Thibodeau had a little bit too much. Stupid for the Knicks to win this game. All right, uh, Emmanuel quickly getting pulled out inexplicably um, in the middle of a great fourth quarter. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about R.J. Barrett getting mothballed in the second half. We'll talk about Julius Randle's somewhat resurgent night and much more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. Here he comes right now. Welcome in to Lock on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I am Alex Wolf. I am editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And we want to thank you guys for making Locked on Knicks your first listen today and every day. Whether you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform or if you're checking out our beautiful faces on YouTube, we appreciate you guys uh, making us part of your daily routine. As I said in the intro, Gavin, the Knicks lose. What a weird occurrence as of as of late. Uh, one twenty five to one fourteen to the Charlotte Hornets, and uh, you know a, a different sort of uh, sort of night for them. I, I thought that the offenses were really firing all, on all cylinders in many ways on both sides, and you know the Hornets obviously have a lot of firepower. The Knicks sort of acquiesce to their style of play in some ways, and you know like let the Hornets run, but maybe didn't, as usual, didn't quite run as much as they should have themselves. Uh, but, I mean, I, I thought there were some good performances from a number of guys, one of which would be Emmanuel Quickly. And I know that you're, you've got a great rant about how dumb uh, Tibbs was in this game with pulling Quickly with about five minutes left in the fourth quarter, even though he was playing amazing. Uh, so I'm going to just lend the floor to you now. <laughs> It's kind of the, I mean, you, you were talking about this pre-show, like the pendulum, the blame pendulum swinging between Tibbs and Randall. It, it's sort of like the same thing I thought about Randall a- after last game. Like, what, what what are we doing at this point? What are we doing? Like, you all right, you're trying to win basketball games. Play the dude who's been either your second best or maybe on a permanent basis, your best player the last two months. It's Emmanuel Quickly. Th- this is the guy who watches the team every single night who knows more about basketball, should know more about basketball than every single member of Nick's Twitter alive, who has never taken a girlfriend or a wife or or any kind of social life, apparently, because of his sheer commitment to winning basketball games. And yet, apparently, he doesn't seem like he wants to win basketball games, Alex, because Emmanuel quickly was wrecking the Charlotte Hornets in the fourth quarter. He had 11 points over the first seven minutes. He accounted for the Knicks' 
first 12 points of the quarter, whether by score or by assist. He has been, along with R.J. Barrett, the only guy who has a pulse off the dribble. All of a sudden, he's getting to the rim and finishing creatively. He's a fantastic shooter, but he takes one bad shot, the kind of shot that Julius Randle takes, I don't know, 15 times a quarter. And all of a sudden, it has to be Alec Burks, who is in the midst of, of just a just a perfect a, a perfect that's not a, that wasn't a word um i was gonna say a virtuoso four for 15 four turnover performance but he just has to be out there right because you need that switchability defensively even though quickly by and large and and look maybe i can as tib suggests to all of us i can go back and watch the tape three times maybe emmanuel quickly was just terrible defensively and i was missing it but i really doubt it because he works his ass off every single game and he's pretty talented on that end of the floor but you just had to get Burks and Fournier in there. Like Fournier was the guy who subbed in for him. But obviously Burks could have taken a seat. This guy who is not a point guard, who has only played well of late because he finally was pushed off the basketball. He's your answer down the stretch to go up against LaMelo Ball, who's just torching you the entire game. Instead of Emmanuel Quickly, the guy who carried you against the Miami Heat with a lineup full of rookies. Um, you don't trust that dude who's absolutely rolling against this Charlotte Hornets team. I don't know, Alex. It, it just it just feels like it's dogmatic for the sake of being dogmatic. He's a fantastic coach in some respects. I'm not denying that. But he has his creature comforts. And it's not only a thing that was true in New York. It was true in Minnesota. It was true in Chicago. And it's why he was ultimately let go in those places. He has these things just set in his head on how you have to win basketball games. And even if they don't drive with reality, he refuses to go away from them. And that has doomed the Knicks all season. And it's going to kill me if he's back next year as coach because for all the things he does right, and there's a lot of them, this is this is inexcusable at this point. Yeah, it sort of just makes you think like, like Alec Burks is a talented player, for example. You know, like like you said, you know, in, in a role that suits him better, he's been playing a lot better lately. And then... Tibbs, for whatever reason, continues to trot them out, trot him out there to start games as a point guard, which puts him in a potentially bad spot to start. Although, luckily, like RJ Barrett has taken on a little more of the burden of that. Evan Fournier has been, you know, doing more playmaking. So he's been less, you know, in the driver's seat in that regard lately to start games, at least. But then, you know, Tibbs does stuff like this where he just puts players in uncomfortable positions for no good reason when he has a better option that can just keep going. And this isn't the first time that we've seen him sub out quickly, you know, with like five minutes to go and have it cost the Knicks the game because he was clearly their best option at point guard. You know, it happened. I'm struggling to remember exactly which game it was, but I can remember it happened literally within the last like two weeks, you know, in, in one of the previous games that the Knicks played. And it's just, it makes you wonder like, you know, what is Tibbs seeing? He wants to take shots at people and say, you know, Oh, you're not watching the games. I watch the games. It's like, bro, we watch the games and like, we see what's happening and it's not good. You know, you're consistently going out of your way to kill the team's momentum by sticking to like your ideal of what a starter should be. Or like, you know, he, he, he's always had that line ever since going back to last year where he's like quickly as a bench player. It's like, what the hell does that mean? Like he's a basketball player. Like, you know, yeah. I understand that some players being bring good skill sets for the bench, but they're not bench players and starters. Like that's not, it, it's like, it's almost like, you know, talking about like positionless basketball, right? Like, you know, if you want to say that now there's like not as defined of positions in the NBA, there's not just like defined starters and bench players, especially now for players as young as quickly is 
where he's showing new stuff like all the time. You know, it's, it just seems so stupid to pigeonhole him like that and consistently keep going back to this. But uh, the grand point I was going to make before I just got sidetracked a little bit and then I'll, I'll throw it back to you. But like, it, it just is sad that, you know, you're talking about Tibbs potentially coming back next year, which we now know to be, I guess, the, a thing that's going to happen according to some reporting recently um, from Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report, like, Apparently, they've given him a vote of confidence to come back to start next year, at least. And it, it just it annoys me because I think that we've seen that the Knicks have a really good collection of young talent on this team. And I feel like the front office is going to have to sort of go out of their way this offseason to tailor make this roster in such a way that Tibbs can't keep shooting himself and the team in the foot. You know, so you might have to trade Alec Burks just to keep Tibbs from playing Alec Burks. You might have to, you know, trade Nerlens Noel so he's not tempted to play a healthy Nerlens Noel next year over uh, Jericho Sims, who has shown so much great stuff. You might have to, you know, move some of his other favorites, like even Julius Randle, you know, who has had his issues lately and seems to not, it, like, seems to still be going out there and playing 40 minutes but giving suboptimal performances while Obi Toppin is getting like eight to 12 minutes most nights and, you know, shining in every single one of those minutes. It's just messed up that, you know, it's, it's frustrating from our perspective to see what we see on the court, whether we watch it one time or three times, I personally can't stomach to watch a Tibbs coach game three times at this point in the year. So sorry, Tibbs. Um, but like, you know, it's, it's sad that the Knicks basically have to are now going to have to go into this off season thinking, how do we save this guy from himself and, you know, give him a roster where he can't keep burying these talented players that we're finding midway through the draft uh, that clearly look like, especially in Quickly's case, and you could also say in like Quentin Grimes's case, like they're potential starters in the NBA and Obi Toppin too. I mean, for how well he's played recently, that they're potential starters in the NBA, but he's not even willing to try it. It's just, it's very frustrating to watch on a night in, night out basis at this point. Yeah, and what's a real shame to me? And and look, you would I would maybe need someone like 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 a Tibbs or or in in our world like a Benji Ritholtz or a Prez to like fully like explain to me like how he's doing relative to the rest of the NBA in this capacity. But to my eye, like he does a good job coaching the young guys when they're in the games, like especially defensively. Um, like a lot of people have talked about this. I was really catered to schemes to leverage the athletic ability he has when Deuce and Grimes and quickly and Jericho are in there together. And offensively, I think he's done consistently like really good stuff to get quickly the ball on the move and, and, and to leverage um, his newfound ability to get all the way to the rim, but but to try and create advantages for him by by getting him in active situations versus just having quickly attack from a standstill. But he just needs he needs a substitution czar. Like if there was one person on the bench ahead of him and said, no, 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 this is this is who's in the game, I think it would work fine. Like I think he I think he's a good in-game coach. He just has again like these attachments and these very rigid preconceived notions of what works and what doesn't. That again, just don't jive with reality. But Alex, um, if you want to make some money in reality, let me let me tell you a fun place to go and do that. It's Prize Picks. All right, NBA fans, are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA? Then look no further. You can try the award-winning app Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and we know you will too. It's super easy to use. All you have to do is pick two to five players and an over/under on their projections, and you can win up to ten times on any entry. And it's just you versus the projected numbers. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. 
Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. You can use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Prize Picks offers any prop you can think of from points scored to rebounds, even steals. Prize Picks allows mixed sport entries. Uh, I don't know if they quite have this prop yet, but maybe you could take uh, the number of uh, trades the Yankees make this season that make me want to throw something at the wall versus the number of times Emmanuel quickly is preemptively removed from a game he's helping you win that make me want to throw something at the wall. I don't know. Just a suggestion for prize picks. Anyways, prize picks doesn't just offer NBA. They have options for college basketball, college football, NFL, MLB, soccer, MMA, and more. And for a limited time, prize picks has an exclusive no brainer of an offer for all of our users. Users get $50 for free. If a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point, but you must use code MBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to locked on fans. Sign up today and use the code MBA $50 for free. If a player in your first prize pick entry scores a single point. All right, Alex, I know you wanted to get into Julius Randle and uh, uh, you know what? Let's let's do that right now because I want to I want to talk RJ Barrett because that was another thing that that quote unquote grinded my gears. But this Randle game was fascinating, right? In in particularly in light of a report from uh, it's Craig Carton, right? Of WFAN. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. um, that Randall um, apparently uh, asked, basically said, I don't want to be here anymore in the locker room last night. A- allegedly, someone with the team told uh, Mr. Carton that um, Randall uh, vehemently denied that after the game and reiterated that he wanted to be in New York long term, um, according to a myriad of reporters who were there. Um, and he came out and he I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Alex. You said this in the pre-show. I thought by and large, he played a lot better. There were still like it was it was my, my notes are very like bipolar on him. Like like I, I was like looking at all these different plays where I was like, well, first, like big shots early in the game when the Knicks were really struggling. And then just did like some good high effort things that flash back to the Randall we were getting midseason where I was I was falling back in love with the guy where he was um like like probing to the elbow and then getting the ball to Emmanuel quickly um, on the move to set him up for easy shots, um, like making good kickouts to Evan Fournier. That that brilliant pass he had in transition to R.J. Barrett might have been my favorite single pass of the game. Um, and then there were like other plays where he was just like looking off Mitchell Robinson, looking off Jericho Sims, clanking an elbow jumper when Evan Fournier was begging for the ball wide open in the corner, a night where Evan Fournier was just volcanic. Um, so there were highs and lows. His expression just seemed permanently perturbed throughout the game, even when things were going well. Um, to me, that was it was part of a, a night and an overall vibe where this the Knicks just seemed out of it and low effort, particularly on defense. And I kind of thought on offense, we're just we didn't really play great offense for the most part, but just got bailed out by some good shot making and Charlotte being terrible defensively. But Alex, what, what did you make of this performance from Julius Randle? And um, what do you what do you make of the, the latest twists and turns in this saga as a whole? Yeah, luckily, while I, while I had a million things to do this week, he kind of picked up the slack, so I haven't really gotten to comment on the whole Randall stuff yet. I mean, his game against Chicago was terrible, you know, and the fact that that would be his tipping point where he's not giving effort and he's not doing stuff and then would allegedly come into the locker room and say, like, that's it, I can't take it here anymore, I want out, would just, like perfectly summarize this season for him, right? Like it just seems like in his head, at least nothing is his fault. And, you know, he just seems to be like very complacent to just give like his version of, I don't know, like 50% and just be like, that's good enough. I'm not getting any calls. So if I'm not getting calls or 
if every play isn't designed for me, then I'm going to not be happy about it and not play hard on both ends or whatever. But this game, like when I was watching, I'm like, you're right. Like I hadn't really paid enough attention to his, his like expressions and body language and stuff other than maybe like there was one point where late in the game, I saw that he like kind of got knocked down and like, Fournier ran over to him right away to pick him oh, up. Oh, yeah, when like, Bridges tried to dunk on him, right? Yeah, and he he waited, like, an extra long time to, like, acknowledge that Fournier was there and just kind of, like, sat there. Yeah. And was I was just like, was he waiting for, like, the whole team to come and, like, pick him up like a, you know, like he's the messiah or something? Like, I don't know what he was waiting for there, like more hands. But, you know, eventually takes Fournier's hands and, and you know, gets up. But I just – it was just – bizarre because I thought this game was great honestly from him just from like a pure play perspective you know I I really liked what we saw it reminded me a lot of like that version of him like right before the trade deadline yeah like you know when we were hearing all this speculation about like oh Randall might get traded and then it seemed almost like maybe he heard that and then was like I don't want to go to Sacramento (laughs) and like you know played his butt off and you know uh just you know was playing like this hybrid style of how he played last year and some of the better things he's done this year, which is like getting to the rim more and, you know, trying to generate those sort of looks more so than just being like, I'm only going to shoot jumpers and that's it. Even though I'm a 250 pound, like, you know, steamroller of a human, uh, I'm just going to shoot jumpers in this game. Um, So it was just like a weird game for him, but it, it just, it's just frustrating. You know, it's, it's so annoying to see that he has this in him and then that we still have to deal with games like the Chicago game. You know, it's, it's like, just make up your mind. Like, do you care? Do you not care at this point now? Like if he did actually ask out, is this now him just trying to be like, you know, the Knicks basically saying like, well, you keep playing like that. We're not going to even be able to trade you. So maybe like try a little bit the rest of the season. Was this his way of like begrudgingly being like, all right, fine. I've still got it. But like, you know, I'm not going to be happy about it. You know, like, I just, I don't understand. I, I don't understand his vibe this year. I feel bad for him in many ways because it seems to me like there's something going on with him. But, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to speculate because that's not fair to him because we don't know what's going on outside of what he does in between the lines. But what he does in between the lines is just so frustratingly inconsistent on a night-to-night basis that, you know, you, you can't help but wonder what's going on otherwise. And it, it's just like... I don't know what the deal is. I don't know what's irking him. I don't know what's making him have these fits of up and down effort, but this game in particular, like if I could bottle this up and just be like, Julius, just play like this. I don't care if you enjoy yourself or not, just play like this, like forever. And you can have a home, you know, on the Knicks or whatever, or I guess this would be good enough to get you traded to another team and get the Knicks some value back. You know, if that's what you really want, but, um, I wish we could see these type of games all the time because I, I thought that both scoring and facilitating, he really sort of had a vintage like 2021 sort of performance in this game versus what we've seen for a large swath of this year. Yeah, I think it's this weird duality, right? Because to be a star player in the NBA, you have to have some something of an ego, right? Like You have to have gone through your whole life like being convinced like, no, I'm I'm the best because the odds against anyone, like even even like Randall, who's just a, like a freak of nature, like his I, I say it all the time, but his ability to move at his size, like not normal. And, and the ball skills that he has and the touch that he has, not normal. Even for a guy like that to make it into the NBA, 
Like you have to like, there has to be something like almost like a little off in how insanely confident you are because the odds, no matter how good you are, are just so, so dramatically against you. So while acknowledging that, like to me, he's a guy who just has to swallow his ego, right? Like, like last game to your point when they won, that should be it. You're in a good mood. You won the game. He slams the ball down, walks off, doesn't celebrate with everyone. Like I didn't even really get into this in the pod last like last show because I was like, you know, I just want to talk about the good stuff, but that, that it, it's corrosive when that happens, right? Like when you have one guy who doesn't want to celebrate a win and doesn't want to say, Hey, RJ, my guy, the last two years who I've watched put in all this time, congrats on the great game. Emmanuel quickly. I'm so happy for you. You've, you've been putting in all this work behind the scenes. No one saw it. Thank God you're doing great. That's awesome. Like he's just, he's, he's not at least as far as we can see. And to your point, we have a, we, we come at it from a limited perspective because we don't know his personal life. We don't know the locker room dynamics. We don't know his relationship with Tibbs. There's a million variables we don't know that could explain all of this, right? And, and honestly have us having a lot of sympathy for him. But from what we can see, I see a crappy teammate every single night. And tonight, honestly, even when he was playing better, I saw a guy who was putting out more of an effort, but it's the same thing as Tibbs, like, like with, with Tibbs playing the young guys a bit more now. And, and some games, like the Heat game, really trusting the young guys down the stretch and really trusting Emmanuel down the stretch. But it's like the definition of an insanity because with both of them, you know they're always going to revert back to their worst tendencies and their worst habits. And as, as someone who covers the Knicks, as also a Knicks fan, I think a lot of people are on the same page as me at this point. Like I can't deal with the ups and downs anymore. I can't deal with that inconsistency anymore. For this franchise to move forward, we can't stick with these two guys because it's always going to revert back to the bad stuff. And because of the roles they play, Tibbs being the head coach and Julius, at least in his mind, still being the best player and getting really pissed when he's not treated like he's the best player. Like it's too substantial of a portion of the team to be left to that kind of inconsistency because if they're inconsistent, the team is going to be inconsistent. And, and that's what we've seen all year. And, and I think the flashes that we've seen over these last 10 to 12 games show you there was something really good within this in this team, but it was held back by Tibbs' decisions and the way Julius was playing. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, I don't really have too much to add there. Um, and I certainly agree that the, the inconsistencies, you know, it's just you have to know what you're getting on a night in night out basis, especially from your highest paid player. And you have to know what kind of attitude they're going to bring on the court. You have to know that they're going to, you know, not every star player has to be a, a vocal leader like Carmelo for as much as a lot of people like or dislike him for his time with the Knicks was always more of a lead by example guy on the court, at least as far as how he conducted himself every day, you know, how he, you always knew what you're going to get out of him for better or worse. Let's put it that way. And with Randall, it's like he's the highest paid player on the Knicks. He should be the star of the team. And yet I come into every single game, not sure which version of like Jekyll and Hyde is going to show up um, in that given game. So uh, it definitely needs to change. Uh, there definitely can't be that sort of inconsistency in the team going forward. But Gavin, what is not inconsistent is the fact that Bill Bars are the best tasting protein bar on the market. We will get into RJ Barrett in just a second uh, and his great first half and sort of frustrating second half for reasons outside of his own control. But uh, I want to let everybody know that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And you guys know, I say it all the time, Built Bar's best tasting protein bar going right now. They are definitely 
the best tasting protein bar I've ever had. And I've been trying to get more active again. I had to go to New Orleans for a, for a wedding this past weekend. And I ate more uh, unhealthy but delicious food than I've probably eaten in the last like two years combined over a four-day period. And so I've had to get real active again. And that has also meant adding some built Bars back in my life. Because no more junk food. I'm, I'm going built Bars. It's the built Bar diet time now. I just need protein to help me recover from workouts. And not all that filler and crap that you get out of all those other protein bars. And also one that tastes good. and doesn't taste like I'm eating a you know crappy chocolate-covered uh, piece of sidewalk chalk. Built Bars look and taste just like candy bars. They come in a bunch of amazing flavors, including their Puffs variety, which are like a chocolate-covered marshmallow uh, with protein, of course. They have uh, great flavors like cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. They're going to be your new favorite. They're certainly some of my favorites amongst the Built Bar lineup. And on top of it, as I said, because trying to drop those few extra pounds from a four-day vacation. I kid you not, I did gain multiple pounds in four days in New Orleans. Uh, 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and four grams of net carbs is all you're going to get out of Built Bars as far as the bad stuff. But the good stuff is 17 whopping grams of protein to help you recover after a workout like me when I played basketball today. Uh, so you can go to Built.com or use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Bill.com. All right, Gavin, getting into the, the final bits here of this game. We'll clean up the final parts. We've obviously talked about quickly. We've talked about these somewhat, actually two frustrating things, quickly and Randall. And then I guess we'll talk about another frustrating thing, the fact that uh, R.J. Barrett came out, scored 18 in the first half. Seems like, I mean... I, I don't know. It's almost becoming like the first half is his half now. I feel like almost every game he's ending the first half with like 16, 17, 18 points at this point. Uh, and, you know, shoots six of 11 is really, you know, commanding the game and having a great time doing it. And then in the second half comes out, only gets six field goal attempts, uh, which put him behind three separate Knicks. Uh, Julius Randle, Alec Burks and Evan Fournier all got eight attempts. In the second half, uh, quickly also took seven. Not that we're complaining about that because he was great. I mean, to his credit, like Fournier was pretty damn good too. Randall shot like 50%, but still frustrating to see, you know, once again, the, the, the guy who has been proving night in, night out to be, you know, you want to talk about consistency. He's been the most consistent guy that you know what you're getting out of every single night lately for the Knicks. And yet, he sort of got frozen out a little bit in this game again. And it's, it just gives you like those flashbacks to, uh, you know, his, his rookie year. And and then like some last year when things would get that way with like, you know, Randall and, and Alfred Payton, for example, they were always like the, the little dream team there as far as doing that. And then, you know, it, it just, I can't help but have it bring those sort of feelings back when RJ then doesn't really get much of a look in, you know, second halves and stuff anymore, even though he's like literally carrying the Knicks uh, through first halves lately. So what did you think about the whole RJ situation and, and just his overall game as it turned out? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was just frustrating because Charlotte didn't have an answer for him, right? Like he was, he, he teared them apart when they played a week ago and he was tearing them apart again. He was on track for the exact same game, right? He had 18 points. I think six of 11 shooting in the first half was getting to the line, um, hit a three or two. It, it just, it felt easy for him. Like, like every time he got LaMelo ball in him, like it was, it was 
barbecue chicken for lack of a better term, right? Like, like right to the rim, little spin moves, soft touch shots, like quick Euro steps that left like Mason Plumley, like forgetting what year it was. Like it was, it was, it was automatic for RJ Barrett. And then for that, for in the second half, you're not like, Oh, let's, let's build our offense around that guy. Especially when it just felt so aimless at different points in the second half, like to, to what you said earlier, where the Knicks kind of played Charlotte's game. Um, I, I didn't love that because Charlotte's game a lot of times is just like disinterest on defense. And I thought, especially in the second half, Charlotte looked like the more invested team on that end of the floor. But part of it was the Knicks were making it easy on them. Like, like even a possession that ended well was Evan Fournier just hitting this insane step back three. It started off with Julius as he's wont to do, just walking the ball up the court. Then with seven seconds off the shot clock, throwing it over to quickly, quickly, like, kind of trying to get a set going, but holding on to the ball, then throwing it over to RJ, then RJ holding it for six or seven seconds, and then just lobbing it, a grenade over to Fournier. And Fournier hit an amazing, like, step back three in LaMelo Ball's face. But, um, I, and, and that's, again, that's a negative on RJ, but part of the issue there is that RJ is not getting the ball with 21 seconds on the shot clock and having time to survey and operate and attack the rim and pick out shooters like he's gotten so good at doing. So it, it feels like an extension of everything I was saying with quickly, but if you're on Tibbs, it, it's on you to call a timeout and say like, Hey, this dude is wrecking them, get them the ball. And I think again, as long as Randall's in the game, even though Randall, like obviously over time has gotten slightly more acquiescent to RJ, this team is going to have a bit of an identity crisis. And I don't think that was the biggest part of the issue tonight with RJ, but it was certainly part of it. And I just think going forward, it will be, which is a big part of the reason why I'm I'm pretty content moving on from Randall after the season. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, you know, it 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 is, you know, we're we're seeing potentially a star turn. I mean, I don't think it can be understated that I mean, we've everybody's been, you know, tracking RJ's like points per game, which he's now gotten over 20 for the season, but a large part of that is the fact that like especially since he came back from that ankle injury, I mean, he was playing well before that, but since he came back from that ankle injury, he has just been like nonsensically hot, you know, like he's, he's coming in pretty much every game. And, you know, even if he's shooting uh, eight of 20 for any given game, which is not like the best shooting line, but it's also not the worst. He's doing such a good job of, of doing all the little things like generating free throws and, you know, knowing when to pass out of certain situations, stuff like that. And it's the things that we don't, always get out of Julius Randle. And so you can't count on that sort of stuff anymore. So it's, it's annoying to then see Randall constantly be giving those opportunities and the opportunities to sort of take the ball in crucial moments when RJ, if, if this is the meritocracy that Tibbs always sells the Knicks as should be the guy that's getting all those looks down the stretch of games and who is running the offense, not just in the first quarter, the second quarter, if he happens to get hot, but, through the whole game, you know, he should be the guy that you're looking at as your top scorer that you want to potentially score 25 to 30 points because he's proven that by, you know, one way or another, he's going to find his way in the conversation for 25 to 30 points a lot of nights now, unless he has a truly off night. And even those off nights, he's still scoring almost 20 points lately. Um, so, you know, I just, I, I think that you're right. You know, it's, it's like, I don't know what it is with Tibbs. He has this, this rep as being like Mr. Tough guy as a coach and being the guy that'll tell it like it is to players and whatever, but it, something needs to change with how he deals with Randall versus how he deals with other players. Because I mean, I, how many minutes did Randall play in the Chicago game? Like 30, 
five or something or something like that. I yeah, mean, I, I think the, the thing is, Alex, like he, I think he knows that like he's going to lose Julius if he does that. Right. Because he's been babying him all year. Like we just said, like the stuff, I mean, to your point, like the stuff he gets away with versus the stuff that everyone else gets away with. Like it's, it's just a different set of rules, but as it is, like, it seems like he wants off the team, even given that, like, and I think it's because Tibbs like never set a precedent and treated him differently almost, almost from the get go. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was exactly the point I was going to get at there. You know what I mean? It's like, how can you come out and put out the the effort that Randall put out the other day and still like, you know, live to see 35 minutes on the court that day? You know, it's just, it, it blows the mind. And, you know, then you have guys like, like a quickly or whatever that go out there to bring it all full circle, I guess, where we're talking about all these guys, but, you know, a guy like a quickly who can go on an absolute heater to start a quarter, carry your whole team through the first part of the fourth quarter of a game, take like a so-so shot and get yanked for it, you know, or like Obi Toppin all the time. Well, you know, as much as Tibbs wants to publicly air out his, his like second year player for whatever reason, but won't do that to a star player, um, you know, and say like, Oh, well, everybody just looks for one highlight dunk. And then he makes nine bad plays, you know, out of every 10. It's like, no, it's, you know, it's actually the exact opposite. A lot of the time, Obi will go out there and he'll give you, you know, five, six minutes of great play. And then, you know, make one so-so decision on the offensive end or something. And without fail, you know, you, I, and every other Knicks fan knows that that means that, well, if Tibbs just called the timeout within a minute of that, that means Obi's coming out because he just made one bad play. And Randall then meanwhile will go out and make, so many bad plays and not ever get called for it. And the same, quite frankly, goes for basically any player over the age of like 25 on this team. We saw it happen with Kemba Walker when Kemba was, you know, getting playing time. We saw it happen with Alec Burks at various times this year. I mean, he shot four 15 in this game. He was not doing well. He had no right to be like closing this game out, quite frankly. Uh, Evan Fournier at various points of the year has looked entirely, you know, checked out and he, he has sat him down for fourth quarters and stuff, but even with that, Fournier, you know, generally finds himself playing in the vicinity of 30 to 35 minutes a game. And it's just like, I don't know, that that's the main thing that's got to change. And that's the main thing that's not going to change going into next year if they keep Tibbs. And, you know, again, to bring it full circle, this basically means that the, the Knicks are going to have to more or less take all of Tibbs' toys away and say you only get players like 25 and under somehow after this offseason. Maybe give him his Derrick Rose, you know, to play with still, but like, because Derrick Rose has at least shown and Tibbs at least respected the fact that Rose wants to be roughly a 20 to 25 minute per game player at this point in his career, thanks to his health and everything. But like, you know, all the other guys, the Randalls, you know, the Burks who could be a good player in a different role, but constantly has to play too much. Uh, Fournier, who I actually like quite a bit. And I liked a lot of the stuff that he's been doing lately, but you know, that it, you know that if he had if he's not doing those things well that Tibbs isn't going to punish him for it it's just like you almost got to take all the vets away and just lean into being like the thunder basically like i don't you know having like all players that are mega mega young because you know that's like the only way you can get your coach to actually play them consistently and hold everybody on the team to the same standards that he claims that he does but visibly does not so yeah that's i think that's the end of my rant and the end of what I've got to say for this episode, unless you have anything else to add. Yeah, I just want to just just rapid fire uh, shout outs to a couple of guys. Uh, 
Evan Fournier, uh, spectacular 30 points on 16 shots, six of eight from three. The degree of difficulty on the, I mean, I mean, the, you, you just, you can watch this game if you, if you want to give someone like a 48 minute preview of what a, what a talented shooter Evan Fournier is like, he hit this like reverse spin fadeaway over LaMelo um, in, in the first quarter, like had an and one banker, had a runner from the free throw line, had that aforementioned step back. He had a couple of bad passes, a couple of bad possessions defensively. I, I didn't care. The, the shot making was just nuts. Uh, Obi Toppin, uh, to your point, like another another pretty good game for him. Like there, there's some parts that were sort of like meh, but um, like the lob he had to Mitchell Robinson was great. Um, just like even even the preamble to it was was really good, where he just kind of like basically like started his drive before he got the basketball, where he was already moving into the pass and already like attacking a gap. And it just it's, it's just one little play that epitomizes what a smart player he is. Mitchell Robinson had his uh, his monthly uh, rim attack and, and, and drew free throws, which was a, a lot of fun. He, uh, Ariel Pacheco pointed this out second time he's done it against Mason Plumley, so maybe just is something against Mason Plumley. But I, I thought again he was super active on the boards, like had had multiple plays where he chased rebounds out to the free throw line and three point line. Um, on one of them, like shuffled a little pass over to Evan Fournier for assist, had another offensive rebound where he immediately kicked it out to RJ Barrett for a three. I think that's Jericho Sims rubbing off on him a little bit. Um, so I, I just thought like until the fourth quarter where I would have preferred if the Knicks had gone small and Mitch just seemed a little bit tired at that point, I, I thought he played a great game. And yeah, that's it. That's all I got to say. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to Locked on Knicks. We will be back. I don't want to say anything yet because it's not officially locked in, but we might have a really good episode coming to end this week off. They're all good episodes, all right? But we, we might have a really, really big episode coming to end the week. So keep your ears out. Hopefully I don't go on to disappoint you all, but I want to tease it a little bit. But uh, until next time, thank you all for listening. We'll be back soon in your feeds with some more episodes. But until next time, peace out, everybody. Talk to you soon. Peace.